Hey, 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 who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 347. Yeah. I hope you're all keeping well and safe. Wherever you are, I hope you've had a cracking week and that you've all managed to do something Doctor Who, Doctor Who. related. Late. <laughs> Welcome to 347. Hope you listened to last week's show, 346. Uh, you've kept up with the old big blue box, but it's great to have you here, as always. If you're a newcomer to the podcast, if you've just found us, then welcome aboard the TARDIS to Adam and I waffling stuff uh, continuously about... Various shenanigans and whatnot. And uh, if you're a long-time listener, if you're one of the grizzled ancients, then welcome back. It's great to have you back for another week. Uh, before we get on with the show, as always, there's some stuff that you optionally have to do. I'm not going to order you around. You don't have to do this. But it would be great if you followed or subscribed to the podcast in your fave podcast app of choice that way you won't miss an episode when it lands every single friday and you can listen to our episodes for free over on our website which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk all the episodes are there and our reviews and articles from our amazing group of writers over there we are on the socials too instagram twitter and facebook links are on the website and we have a free discord server hop in there chat doctor who with other who fans again the link is on the website and it would be remiss of me not to mention <laughs> don't forget to remember don't forget to remember that's a thing now isn't it it's uh yeah <laughs> it's all of adam's content over on youtube his channel is called the geek's handbag geek's handbag yeah lots of dot two videos on that i'm working on a cracking video at the minute mate not just saying that's blow my own trumpet it's a, it's a b&m quest but it's um <laughs> turned out to be quite a fun one and uh yeah that should be out soon um I wasn't going to bother. I wasn't sure if it was worth putting together. And then I watched the footage and I thought, actually, I'm quite pleased with some of this. And it's it's really coming along nicely. nicely. So, yeah, that'll be out soon-ish. Sounds good, dude. <laughs> Just slapping some music on it and all the, you know, bells and whistles make <laughs> it good. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah, go and check out Adam's content over on YouTube. As I said, it's The Geek's Handbag. Go and do it. And Adam's on the social too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Go and stalk him for a bit. Chat Doctor Who or Blake Seven, whatever else you want to talk Blake. about. Blake, it's all good. Now that's out of the way, let's crack on with the show. So there's no news to get through. There's just nothing really of note to talk about. There's a couple of little couple of little interviewee bits that have popped up with Chibbers where he's saying things like... It's a bit clickbaity, these articles, because they've used they like are, a tiny like, little yeah. segment of what he said in the interview, and that's the focus. But one of them was um, he fully expects Russell to ignore everything that he's done in Doctor Who up to now and making him out to be a bit of a crybaby and a bit of a, oh, my work wasn't good enough. So it wasn't like that at all. He was just, that was like a sentence in the middle of a wider paragraph that was just taken out of context. And there was another one where he said something like, you know, I'm completely in, I'm done with Doctor Who, never again sort of thing. Again, it was yeah. taken out of context a little bit. So 
and uh, and also quite surprising, we've had no new names thrown into the hat for the new Doctor as yet. The upcoming casting mm. for the replacement—that's still a bit quiet. So we've, I think, we reached a bit of a peak a few weeks back, or a, or a month or so ago, where we had some ridiculous names thrown in there. That was when we had the height of it with Hugh Grant's name in there and yeah. Faddy with the pick that was taken down. So Spotted in yeah, I think the BBC have—they've yeah, calmed it all down a little bit now. So we've kind of come off the peak. And now we're just going to rumble along nicely until we get an official thing. So, yeah, nothing going on with the news. But you and I did something tenuously, roughly Doctor Who <laughs> related last weekend, didn't we? We went to uh, went to the old BFI, did did our our Wurzel event, which was very good. Wurzel Gummidge, yeah. I mean, yeah, John Pertwee, it's, there is a tenuous link there, and Sean <laughs> Pertwee was there, which was a surprise, wasn't it? That's surprise amazing. to see Sean on stage. That was amazing. We both tried to meet him after as well with no luck, which was a shame. He well, bolted, didn't he? Yeah. he bolted out of there quicker than a, yeah, yes. quicker than something I can't say because it's a fan podcast. But he was out of there like a shot. <laughs> um, but what a great day, wasn't it? And, and I think we've for anyone that's been long time listeners to this podcast, we have talked about Wurzel because we both love the original series of John Pertwee, and we've we've said many a time how the DVDs, the quality, uh, although it's such a good program, that the the picture quality really needs a bit of work. Some of them look so washed out and grainy. Well, they they finally found the original negatives, and they've done an amazing job, and it looked fantastic on the big screen, didn't it? Especially that first episode that they played as three episodes, the first one just looked glorious didn't it the colors and it was sharp and and the other two looked good as well i think maybe there were a couple of little noise hisses and stuff that we sort of picked up on that you know there's only so much they can do but they god what an improvement on what we've had before um, yeah and it was such a great event wasn't it and a really nice uh, q a afterwards wasn't it yeah, it was very uh, Sean cool, Pertwee yeah. and um, we had um lorraine chase she was very entertaining <laughs> wasn't she she was brilliant yeah she was Love funny chase. yeah it was a really good day, dude. Yes, it wasn't really Doctor Who related, but it was quite, you know, they did mention Doctor Who a couple of times when they were asking um, some questions in the Q&A around, uh, you know, they did say that John Perkins is most well known as Doctor Who and so on. And how was approaching this part of Wurzel different to the Doctor and stuff like that? And I think Sean Perkins, we answered a, a couple of questions on that and stuff. But dude, some of it, it looks like it was shot yesterday. The, you know with the the listener we're not sort of over egging the pudding here like sometimes when you see restorations or remasters mm. it can be a little bit hit and miss it can be a little bit what was the point and one one uh example that i always throw in when we ha- want to have conversations with people is the red dwarf blu-ray box set mm. that they released a couple of years ago that looks really really close to just the standard dvds like the, the amount the amount of money they spent to quote unquote remaster those was a complete, in my opinion, a complete waste. Because mm. if you had if you had them side by side, two TVs, one with the DVD, one with the Blu-ray, you could you could probably make out the difference. You think, okay, that one's slightly sharper, and that one's got you know slightly better color range, very slightly. But if you look at the Wurzel DVDs over the years, and especially you know, I'm not going to count VHS, but the difference is literally night and day. And they had like a little, um, they previewed a couple of the special features, which was really good. And they did this breakdown where they had, they showed you the original footage. I think they had some Barbara Windsor, Saucy Nancy clips, didn't they, in this bit? Yeah. Yeah. So you saw the breakdown, you saw the original negatives that they had found and the stuff that we'd used to watch or have used to being viewed on screen or DVDs over the years. And then they sort of laid it up step by step. It was like, right, this is now with the, 
the the cleanup. This is with the color grading. This is with the overall contrast and sharpening. And then this is the audio mix, which is amazing in itself. Because mm. we had like these really old tinny, horrible mono tracks before. With a hiss, wasn't it? Oh, it's awful, yeah. Sound all over it, yeah. So yeah, we're not over-egging this. Honestly, any Wurzel fans that are listening to this podcast, you will absolutely love this Blu-ray box set. And I think they said it, mm. they didn't put a, a date on it exactly, but they did say it was coming up in a two, maybe three months. You'll be able to order it. So defo pre-order on that, dude. And it was... um. I must admit, I got a little bit emotional a couple of times there because Wurzel holds a very special place in my heart because it's one of the first. Mm. It's one of the first programs that I watched with my dad when I was younger. It's like my first memory of just chilling with my dad and watching him absolutely crack up at John Pertwee, and then me laughing at John Pertwee, and then me laughing at my dad laughing. You know, it was like mm. a real lovely sort of thing for my early childhood. So. And then yeah. when Sean Pertwee was on stage and he was saying he got a bit emotional about some of the things with his dad, it was just a really cool, lovely day. And those episodes, and the first one we watched, very good Wurzel, dude, that is some of the funniest classic TV Still so funny, ever. isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah. amazing, yeah. So Wurzel fans, um, we're not going to go on too much about this, but yeah, get your orders in on the Blu-ray box set if you're a fan of Wurzel, or even if you're not. If you've heard us talk about Wurzel over the years and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I've never really watched it, this is the perfect time to jump in and experience some of just amazing, funny, sometimes dark and emotional bits in this children's mm. show. Yeah, it's just a great show. Yeah, definitely get Yeah, it. that second episode, uh, the real dark moment, uh, Summer Wurzel is, is a bit dark for a kid's show, but it, it balances that fine line. That's why I think it appeals to a lot of age groups because... We were saying when we were sat in there, there was all, you know, real variety of different ages in the audience, wasn't there? Like that that little girl who they did a little quiz, didn't they? And the little girl answered the question that uh, I didn't even know the answer to, but she got it right. And she was really young, wasn't she? And I was thinking it's really nice to see that it still appeals to, you know, young young and old. And it, I always recommend it because, it, you know, it has got that dot two connection. And John Pertwee loved the, the role. He absolutely loved it. And I think a lot of people if they were to just look at pictures of it, might dismiss it as like, well, what is that? It looks, you know, him because he's got the straw face. <laughs> you know, don't dismiss yeah. it. It's a, it's a great show with a lot of depth to it. It's not just a, it's not just a kid's show. It's, it, it's, you know, it's a lot of depth to Wurzel and it's, and it's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. So uh, And sad, <laughs> but also a lot of fun. But also a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, a, a big shout out to um, my Stuart Manning, who's sort of working alongside another guy, which I forget his name. Those two are really kind of driving forward and putting a lot of love and hard work into it. So um, it's very cool. And also a shout out to a to a, a guy that's listened to the podcast for a while. He come up and introduce himself, Gary. Shout out to Gary, who uh, who we chilled with afterward for a couple of hours and had some drinks and stuff. Very very nice mm -hmm. guy. And uh, yeah, it's always nice meeting listeners of the podcast and and. Uh, and chilling out and talking plenty of Doctor Who and, and stuff. And, you know, a bit of Wurzel in this case. So, yeah. yeah. So, nice one, Gary. Thanks for the pint as well. It was, uh, yeah, very good, good old natter after, didn't we? It's yeah. good. Yes. Right. Uh, you and I, were very light on Doctor Who this week. I think we both said before we recorded, we've just done bugger all um, in terms of recording. But before we get on to our review, just very quickly, uh, we can't obviously forget that we've got brand new Doctor Who coming up this weekend. So this Sunday, no, don't forget, don't forget that one. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got Legends of the Sea Devils dropping on Sunday, Easter Sunday. I think yeah. it's uh, ten past seven here in the UK. Uh, I so that's going to so, be good. Yeah. So some new Doctor Who to watch, bud. 
Yeah, it's, it's a good time for me, I think, because I'll be at my parents on Sunday. And uh, yeah, I'm normally back around seven. So I reckon that, that should slip in quite nicely, hopefully. But I'd say I'm not too drunk by the time I get back. Otherwise, <laughs> I'll be sat there again. What's happening? <laughs> oh, no, she's got the Sonic out again. Oh, I'm terrible watching Doctor Who. I'm drunk. I'm so critical. Uh, but uh, yeah, so new Doctor Who. And it'd be great. We'll have a new episode to review next week. And yeah, it's going to be cool, isn't it? To have some new Who on the telly. On the telly box. Yeah. On the telly box, yes. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, so um, that wasn't a reminder, obviously. Dear Doctor Who Big Blue Box listener, we obviously know you've got that in your calendar ready to rock and roll. So, um, yeah, it's just nice to be able to look forward to something new because I think there's going to be quite a gap after this one and the next one, right? Is it November? October, November? Yeah, I was just going to say, do you think we'll get a trailer for that? Because they finished filming it, right? I think we will. Yeah, must have done. Yeah, it's all done. They're all done, aren't they? So, theoretically, we might get a trailer for it, which is exciting. Yeah, that could be cool. Yeah. Let's hoping that the best bit of Sunday is not the 30-second teaser. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Imagine that. Like the Dalek one where everyone just (laughs) forgot about the episode instantly, the last one, and was talking about the trailer for this one, yeah. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And that was actually a thing. That We're not making that up. There were so no. many people that said the best bit of that episode was the Sea Devils trailer at the end, which was only 15 <laughs> seconds. So yeah. take from that what you will. But yeah. So looking forward to that on Sunday. We've done nothing else, Doctor Who. So, Bud, let's crack straight on with our review this week, which is... Which is, yeah, the fourth Doctor story, Creature from Pit. Here up. That's odd. Is it? No, please! Where are they taking him? We call it the Pit. Ah! Kill him. Attack! He's trapped in the pit with the creature. How big is it? Huge. How huge? You must know something about it. It kills people. (laughs) No in-depth information required there. It just kills people. It kills people. (laughs) There you go. That's all you need to know. So we need to know. The creature just yeah. kills people. Anyway, first broadcast. Uh, this was a four-parter, right? Yeah, so this was first broadcast yeah. back on the 27th of October, 1979, and it finished up on the 17th of November of that same year. It was written by David Fisher, directed by Christopher Barry, and the synopsis is the fourth Doctor and Romana two receive a distress signal and arrive on Chloris. It is a lush Chloris. Chloris. It is a lush and verdant world with only small quantities of metals, all of which are controlled by its ruler, Lady Adastra. Uh, Adrasta? Adrasta, yeah, Adrasta. It's funny name. Adrasta. Yeah, keeps order uh, with the aid of her huntsman and his wolf weeds. Uh, mobile balls of vegetation. A band of thieves, led by Torvin, organise raids on her palace to steal whatever metal they can. But in the mines of Chloris is something huge, a creature thrown into the pit to be forgotten. And the Doctor is about to join him. Creature front pit. Dude, what are your feelings on this one? Well, um, I must admit, when I saw this on the <laughs> schedule, I was a bit like, oh dear. It's not a story I watch very often. And I, I, just in the back of my mind, I just remember it not being very good and 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 quite frankly, a bit boring. <laughs> so I wasn't really looking forward to this, I've got to be honest. But, you know, we're going to do every story, and I thought at some point we're going to have to do it. So, And there is worse from memory. I remember thinking it's not 
it's not the worst, but it's, this isn't going to be a particularly fun watch. Uh, so yeah, I bunged it on the other night and I really enjoyed the first episode and I got a little glimmer of hope that it might turn out to be one of those stories that is actually a lot better than I remembered. I thought, oh, maybe this is a little hidden gem that I've forgotten about because I thought the first episode was was great, actually. Um, love all the banter between the Doctor and Romana in, in the TARDIS and then they come out to this glorious forest set i mean it looks brilliant for a set you know some forest sets in doctor who they you know they would weep looking at this one because it's really good and it's got a good atmosphere to it and there's a good little story unfolding and you think oh you know this planet and the doctor's examining what he thinks is an egg and then there's these funny tumbleweeds capture k9 and this really sort of strong powerful woman who's ruling the planet so actually this this is getting off to a good start maybe i am gonna like this and Second episode, it was okay. It was okay. It's drifting along. Long. I'm sort of getting into it, and then it really just fizzled out for me in episode three, and actually four, probably even more so because we always expect a dip in episode three. I think that's just a given with classic who. It just happens a lot. But I hoped that episode four would pick up, and actually, really, it didn't. There was a. It almost felt like. It felt like to me they didn't know where to take the story. It just they sort of get rid of the main sort of baddie, if you like, uh, Adrastra. She's sort of gone very early on in part four. So I'm thinking, so what? What's the rest of the episode going to be then? If we've got rid of her because she's been the main antagonist up until this point, but she's gone now. So what? What's going to fill up the rest of episode four? And they sort of bring in this other sort of storyline about getting the creature back to its planet or whatever's going on. So I'm going to put this in the sort of slightly mediocre camp really it's it's not bad it's it it's actually there's a lot of fun in the script i will say that it's actually a lot more humorous than i remember there's some actually really genuinely funny lines in it mostly delivered by tom tom's actually really putting the effort in i have to say and thank goodness because if he was in one of his can't really be bothered moods this would this would really suffer in fact the whole cast pretty much um bring this up quite a bit because it's it's a bit of a slog for story and there isn't a great deal of story there so it's not bad but it's not one i would it's not a classic and it's not one that i would sort of recommend to people or watch very often but it's got some nice stuff to it and it's not as bad as i remembered but it's also not particularly great it's it's very much a middle of the road one for me this mm. oh, okay yeah i get that dude yeah i'm yeah i think it's a middle of the roadish kind of one for me as well i think it's um it does have like it does have a very cool classic feel to it. Obviously, it has that nice, um, charming kind of um, sort of low budgetness to it that we expect with that stuff. Like the wolf weeds are very <laughs> weird looking, and you know sometimes when you see the creature uh, when Tom's interacting with it uh, throughout some of the episodes and stuff like that, yeah, it looks a little bit sort of paper mache. Mm. Some primary school kids have built, you know, have made it, and so I love the charm of it. I love the the sort of quintessential classic hooness to it. I just feel like the story, uh, the story just sort of, um, it's kind of, it, it's not, it doesn't necessarily drag. It's, it's not like a draggy sort of one. I don't know. It just feels like the story is just a bit, uh, a, a bit simplistic for the sake of being simplistic, if that makes sense. Like we have these two threads essentially running through the story and that's it. Um, uh, it's like 
the whole creature thing is a bit of a mystery in the first episode. It's not until we get into the midway through the story where the doctor tries to communicate with it and it doesn't kill the doctor. So mm. we get to think, okay, there's something more to this creature. It's not just a, you know, a brainless blob that's just, you know, eating people. So that's kind of cool. And then the other storyline is um, this whole sort of um, uh, commodity or this monopoly over the metals of the planet that's being governed by um, Lady uh, Adrasta. Mm. So you've got those two things, and that kind of handles why those thieves, the bandits, are um, knocking around because they're just scavengers, basically. just want to go and raid the palace every now and then, grab some metal, and and off they go. Um, So that's really it. So I would love to have seen another thread in there where there was some... uh, you know, sort of another another person. Because um, you know the old woman that seems to be the second in command yeah, to address yeah. her? She kind of does that towards the end. She's sort of like, she's like, okay, you know, if you guys help me, she's talking to the bandits towards the end of like, if you guys help me, we'll be able to control the planet as, as Adrasta did and everything will be all cool. But I'd love to have seen her do that a lot earlier instead of yeah. just being bossed around the whole time and sending her guards to their death, you know, all the time. I'd love to have seen her revolt a little bit earlier. So there was like another thing going on that you could be like, oh, what's going to happen with these guys? So mm. it's kind of, it's enjoyable. It is definitely an enjoyable watch. It's just a little bit like, okay, we know exactly what's going to happen here. We know what's going to happen here. To me, the, one of the best characters was, uh, uh, was his name was o, uh, Organon. He was very cool. You know our old friend Jeffrey Belden. Oh, old Cat Weasel. Old Cat Weasel and the Crow Man from Wurzel, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. good timing. Um, so, yeah, he, he was a really good character. He was like this kind of fraudulent stargazer, um, you know, horoscope sort of person that was just knocking around, wasn't killed by the creatures, been living down in the pit for a while. And um, mm. his interactions are very, very cool and funny and humorous and bring a little bit of life to the story. So, if it wasn't for him, this would be like a, a bit of a drab watch, but... I'd yeah. totally forgotten he was in it, actually. Uh, what's his name? Jeffrey Babylon? Is Babylon? Uh, his name, Jeffrey Belden, is the actor. Belden, yeah, sorry. Belden, yeah. Uh, he plays Organon. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, really I'd, funny. Yeah. He's a great character. And as I say, completely forgotten he was in it. And obviously, having just come back from the Wurzel screening, which is he obviously, I, I always remember it best as the Crow Man. Uh, but a lot of people will remember him as Cat Weasel. Um, <laughs> but to see him in it, I was like, oh, my word, it's the Crow Man. What's he doing in it? Obviously, playing a totally different character. And, it, and he is really good in it. Yeah, he's still got that sort of. Um, sort of slightly comedic, but but mm-hmm. still playing it quite straight, uh, which uh, Jeffrey Belden's so good at. And um, him and Tom are, are, are good together as well. Um, just got to quickly talk about the monster, mate, because obviously it is the thing. I think if you mention Creature uh, from the Pit to most people, they're going to say, oh, that's the one with the with the green blob, which looks really rude. I mean, it really does. <laughs> it's it's. I can't believe... <laughs> They, 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 I mean, it just looks so rude that that creature. But my God, kudos to Tom Baker when he's doing those scenes with that blob, and especially the bit where he tries to talk into its tentacle, which looks even uh, takes something really rude to make it even look even ruder. I mean, I just can't <laughs> believe what I'm seeing on screen at this point. Kudos to Tom for playing that scene straight. I mean, I really can't imagine any other actor than Tom being able to sell those scenes because he actually makes you feel something for that creature doesn't he you almost feel sorry for it when you learn that it's been chucked down there and 
you know, and it's not a, a big evil thing that's eating people. And it, and it looks ridiculous, that monster, even by Doctor Who standards, it is bad. And it is the thing that a lot of people will remember from this story because it is that bad. So kudos to Tom. He His acting is brilliant in those scenes. He's really taking it seriously. And I just don't know how because I, I could not have acted uh, against that that monster it looks dreadful <laughs> it's, it's probably it's got to be one of the worst Doctor monsters isn't it even worse than like the slither it's terrible yeah, it's, uh, do you know what it's not too bad when it's just filling up the doorway <laughs> it's got the um <laughs> and it's got the translator disc thing on it you know it doesn't look too bad then because all you're all you're seeing is just um like the shiny chlorophyll sort of skin that's pulsing yeah. in and out and it's not too bad but like you said, it's the bit where Tom's <laughs> mm-hmm. it, Tom's interacting with it, and like the little appendages come out, and yeah, weirdness <laughs> like that. It does look a bit, um, yeah. How could you keep a straight face? I mean, <laughs> I, I think there were, there, yeah, there was a lot of tension in the room regarding that monster. If you watch the little documentary and stuff, you know the 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 director Chris Barry was very unhappy with it. He's like, how on earth am I going to shoot this thing? And to be fair, I think he. He does the best he can. I mean, it's impossible to make that thing look good. Yeah. And I think Christopher Barry uh, tries to sort of keep it in the shadows a bit. And but it's yeah, very difficult job to make that monster look good. But I do, I do like the idea that it's been thrown down the pit, the poor old thing, and it's you know, it's not an evil creature. It's you know, mm. it's been, it's just angry. Yeah, a bit of trivia on the old monster, how it looks. Mm. So the director Christopher Barry. And the uh, and the the effects designer Matt Irvine, yeah. Irvine, they were called into the BBC when they saw the appearance I'm of surprised. the first one of the creature, Arado, and um, basically what they said was, "Look, this thing looks like a penis." And um, because what happened was apparently when they when they first brought that thing on set and they did that stuff, and uh, everybody just literally couldn't control themselves with laughter i'm not surprised <laughs> and uh so the so the bbc basically said look you're not going to sleep tonight you have to come up with something overnight so we can film tomorrow mm-hmm. that doesn't make this thing look like tom baker's holding and interacting with a giant penis mm. so what they did was they changed the shape of it a little bit and added little pincers on the end and that's pro- apparently that's the best that they could do without having to redesign the entire thing <clears throat> so what a as a designer what a smack in the face like yeah i've come up with this cool looking alien monster thing and they've everyone just laughs for like three hours straight at it and they can't concentrate and then have to change it bloody hell but the bit the bit where the doctor blows down its little well i don't know what it is but i just can't believe like what i'm seeing in in that i'm like what is going on um yeah i just i don't know how they could take it seriously but as i said tom Tom does the best he can to make those scenes work, and he he, he does manage to do that unbelievably. Crikey. You know? <laughs> yeah, so the creature, mate, I, I I don't think anybody could disagree with you that it's it's probably one of the more ridiculous-looking um, efforts that we've had in Doctor Who, especially they, in the classic years. And they call it the blob as well, which just makes it laugh. Oh, that's a big blob down there. They don't even like try and jazz it up or make it sound scary. It's just a blob, a green yeah. blob. I mean, yeah. the uh, conceptually, it's it's kind of cool though that um, that the uh, that this this blob thing, the creature, 
uh, is actually quite intelligent and is from a race of like he's like mm. a high up in whatever political chain is from his own planet or its own planet and there's some kind of trade treaty that's been worked out between you know a supply of metal and uh, chlorophyll and all that kind of stuff that's kind of cool that's like a yeah i like all that stuff yeah yeah but it just yeah it just gets overshadowed a little bit by the sort of messing around and the ridiculousness of the of the thing one thing i did like was the the translation disc thing where it uses the it used the person's sort of vocal cords and stuff to project its you know what it's thinking as a sort of language mm-hmm. that they can understand that was very cool yeah, yeah. that's what i mean there's some nice ideas in this story isn't there some nice ideas in the script um it's just not quite enough to sort of bring it up to a good story really but there is some good stuff in there um and there's a lot of fun in it there's there's a lot of humor in this script uh as well which is is genuinely funny it's like it's not you know it doesn't fall flat i thought there's a lot of good good one-liners especially from from tom he comes out with some belters in this um he seems really into it i'm surprised mm. actually because i mean tom pretty much always delivers even in a bad story i think the only one that i can think of where i just really feel tom isn't giving his all is probably underworld i think he he just he just seems really not into that story from from memory and um, what i very rarely watch that one surprise surprise but this story i mean it's not particularly great and we know that tom could be very critical of the scripts uh calling them whip it uh bleep bleep um but he seems to be really going for it he's really giving his all in this story i thought and i'd Maybe it's that injection of having the new companion. You know, he's got like the new Romana and stuff, and they seem to be getting on well. I don't know, but I thought Tom was really on top top form on in this story. It, it would be mm. so so much poorer without him if he was if he was a bit flat or yeah, I don't know if he wasn't in it. I mean, it seems that he's not in are the ones that drag. I mean, he really I wouldn't say carries this story because the cast are pretty good on the whole. I think everyone's pretty good in it. Um, but, you know, any scene with Tom in it is really fun in the story and it does make a big difference, I think. I agree, dude. Yeah. And there are times where he looks like he's loving it. There's a few scenes yeah. where he's got a big old smile on his face that we love about some of Tom's yeah, performances. wide-eyed look. Yeah. And um, funny little quips as well. Mm-hmm. You see, it's quite a funny script in a lot of places that you wouldn't it's really fun, expect. Yeah. yeah. I think the, 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 the biggest appeal for me, for Tom in this story, is when he's completely non uh, just not afraid at all of the monster in the pit mm. like he um that scene where um they capture him and then they take him to watch one of those dudes who's got his information wrong he's going to be thrown into the pit they take yeah. him over there just to witness like you know the horror of somebody being thrown into the pit and then he you know tom throws himself in anyway as an attempt to kind of sort of hide in there and wait for him to go and then climb out i, I think that was his plan to hide on the inner wall of the of the, the the pit wall, and then when they had just, when they'd left, he sort of climbed out, and I think that was his plan. But he ends up falling down, obviously. And um, when he interacts with the monster, even when he sees it for the first time, he's got a big smile on his face. And mm. I think that's that they play on that a lot. I think over the years, especially in modern Who, where everybody else is really scared and they want to run away, but the Doctor's got this inquisitive nature. Is like, oh, it's not scary, you know, it's. You know, it's probably just misunderstood, <laughs> you know. Mm. And uh, so that's one of the things I really like about Tom throughout this one. So, yeah, he is on fire for sure. He's got, he's very quick, like, I'm not sure if it's the editing or whether Tom's just um, sort of his quips and his replies are really quick on this one, but he's sharp as a tack in it and he's, um, mm. and he's funny. So, 
That's a good way yeah. of putting it, mate. Yeah, he's sharp. He does feel really. He's very quick with the dialogue, and he does seem to be yeah sharp. That's a good good description of him. It's, it's a shame actually talking through this. You know, making me realise there there is a lot more. There is a lot of good stuff in this story. More than you know, this is the nice thing about revisiting stories like this on the podcast that I, I really don't normally bother to go back to i mean i don't know when i last watched this but it's a long time ago it's just a shame really that it it fizzles out um you know midway through because the cliffhanger as i said how much i enjoyed episode one the cliffhanger to episode one's brilliant because you don't expect tom to jump down that pit do you (laughs) you think he's going to get shoved down it or it's going to be pretty much standard so i like that you know there's some little surprises and little things thrown in that, that sort of bring the story up a bit so great cliffhanger to episode one i thought and and a nice resolution of him clinging on and then jumping down so yeah it's got some good merits to it this story it's just for me it just fizzles out really halfway through which is is a shame yeah yeah and again i'm in agreement with you that dude it does seem to, to fizzle a little bit it feels like episode four not to be too much of a negative ninny but it feels like episode four is just going through the motions to the ending that we know is coming you know, it's like, yeah, and it's weird because it it'd be strange to have this as a three parter. That would be a bit weird. They didn't really do that too often. So, but it does feel like this story would have suited that. Um, so you start off with episode four, essentially with um, uh, episode four is um, uh, the the creature going off into space, isn't it? Because there's a star that's you know heading towards the planet. It's going to wipe everybody <laughs> yeah, out. So they come concoct this plan where the the TARDIS can do this tractor beam thing and hold it in place while the the creature weaves like it's you know the same material that I think it lays its eggs something like that and uh, you know and and stop it and then the TARDIS dodges out of the way and stuff so that last sort of ten minutes I guess eight to ten minutes I think is very very cool but everything before that in episode four is just. Mm, you know, we're, we're just like, come on, you know, we want to get to this drag, good Drag bit. into the yeah. conclusion. So I do, yeah. I would read you, dude. It does fizzle out a wee I, bit. I'll tell you, it does get a good story in this, or at least he gets lots to do, is old K-9. K-9, uh, yeah. In this yeah. season, he's kind of pushed to the back a lot, isn't he? He's told to stay in the TARDIS a lot, and he, they, they can't think what to do with him. Like, City of Death, bef- the story before, they're like, no, no, you stay in there, K-9. No, you know, he's not in the story at all. But this one, he's in it loads, and he... He gets lots of shooting to do and he gets covered in tumbleweeds and he destroys things. And yeah, he's in it loads, isn't he? I think this is probably one of the most <laughs> uh, canine sort of featured stories there is. He's, he's in it lots. And uh, you can tell, that, I mean, you were saying about the editing earlier, actually. The editing's pretty good in this because they constantly switch between the light canine prop and the actual real canine prop. So they've got one, haven't they, that's made of fiberglass that, that's really light and doesn't move that they can just use when they need to carry him. And uh, the, the switches are really, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. No, it's good. So the, the editing's spot on in this, I have to say. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's a shame that the, the, the voice is different. So it's a different guy voicing uh, canine in this season, isn't it? John Leeson has left for, for whatever reason and... What's the chap's name who's voiced him in this? It's um, David Brearley. David Brearley, yeah. I nearly said David Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) David Brearley. Yeah, it's a shame because I find it, because John Leeson has been doing this for a couple of years now and he's so associated with that voice. It it is instantly noticeable, isn't it, that the canine's voice is different. And somebody was saying it was a bit more 
C3PO style. And I kind of see what they mean, actually. It's got yeah. that, it's a bit more cocky, this this version of K9. And I think, I think I'm right in saying it's only, it's only David Brealey for this season. I think John Leeson comes back the following season. I'm pretty sure he does. He does. Yes. So, so it's a bit yep. jarring to begin with, isn't it? It's like, what's up with K9's voice? Um, yeah, and also it's weird because um, the you can tell that the direction that they gave David Brearley was, we just need you to sound like John Leeson, which yeah. is not great really because it's, it ends up just being, if, they, if he'd have embodied that character a little bit more and put his own spin on it, we could have just all accepted that this was just a newer, you know, a, a different K9 or... <clears throat> just you know the voice modulator within K9 is different from the you know something like that that they could have put in so it's just weird that it's like you know as an actor you know you want to do your 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 best performance for something but you've been told that you need to base your performance on performance on the the previous actor's thing so you're trying your best to sound like John Leeson but at the same time try and put a little bit of a a performance in there so i i imagine that's very difficult to do because as you're reading through the script, your first sort of um, instinct is to read something in a certain way because that's mm. how you feel the character of K9 would have reacted to something. So maybe that's... Um, uh, obviously, we don't know this unless there are sort of people that are alive today that were around when this was happening. But when David Brea was recording that stuff, I imagine there was a lot of sort of stops like, stop, that doesn't sound John Leeson-y enough. Can mm. you just go back and, and do that line again? So... Yeah, I I can't get on board with that, dude. I would have much preferred it from a, you know, just do your own voice how you think K nine should should be. Because he's a robot, he can change his voice, can't he? But it's not like yeah, yeah. We we could go with that if he'd had a sort. Maybe the doctor could have tweaked his voice box in, in a scene, and uh, you know, he's changed slightly. We could we could have accepted that. What but would have been cool? K- Sorry, just very quickly. What yeah. would have been cool is um, because the doctor's always constantly annoyed by K nine. There would have been like in between episodes that we didn't see, but the doctor mentions Lala's like, uh, uh, Lala, Romana's like, oh, why does K9 sound different? Oh, he's an, his noise, his voice annoyed me, so I've changed up his thingy <laughs> to try and get a less annoying. You know, they could have had a fun little five yeah. second little bit in the episode to explain that, but. A bit there like your um, navigating system in your car where you can change the exactly. the voice yeah. to one you want. Yeah, you could have done that. Um, but what do you reckon to K9 in this? Because it, as a write, as for a writer, right, it's got to be difficult to think of things to do with K9, really, apart from shooting things. But I don't know. I think they utilise him really well in the story for a change. I think it's quite good to see him getting carted out and get stuck into the action a bit more because uh, so, he is so limited as a as a prop isn't he you know the actual prop itself and you know his remote controls constantly interfered with the cameras so that he, he was a nightmare to have on set bless him I, and i love k9 but from a technical point of view i think the writers and and possibly the actors hated him because he was just a nightmare <laughs> but it, it's good to see him getting some 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 of the action and getting stuck in i think in this story he did he had a, quite a bit of screen time as well which is good yeah. So the voice aside, it was good to see him muck in and uh, and stuff. And he had a good relationship as well with um, with Romana fairly on as well. Them two get on really well. And she almost relies on him. There's a couple of times where it's sort of like a rinse and repeat moment where she grabs him and she tells him to zap a couple of people and they fall down and she gets captured again. So that doesn't work out too well. But you can tell that she's, you know, she's quite reliant on him early on. Yeah. 
Now, talking of changes, what is going on with Romana in the story? This is clearly, I think I'm right in saying this is the first story Lala Ward recorded as Romana, because she is different. You can tell um, that this was written for Romana 1, just the dialogue, and she's too, you know, Lala Ward's Romana is, is a lot stronger and more, yeah, how can I put it? She's a bit weak in this story in terms of she's a bit whiny, which isn't, what Lala Ward's Romana's like for a lot of her stories. You know, she tends to be the one <laughs> dishing it rather than sort of, yeah, being a bit whiny. But you can tell that it, she hasn't found the character. I'm pretty sure this is the first recorded uh, story she recorded, um, although it was the third story to go out. And I, I think it shows. I think her character isn't quite the same as it will become and her performance is different. I, I'm not saying it's a bad performance at all. I, think, I still think she's good in it, but... Yeah, it's not quite the Romana 2 that we know, is it, at this point? Definitely, you know, like the K9, it's all right. He's, 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 I don't know, just mm. the line delivery and, and the dialogue she's given, it's not quite suited to Romana 2. They haven't found they haven't found her character yet, have we? She's, they're basically, yet. she's trying yeah. to be like Mary Tam, and it's not, it's not really uh, working. Yeah, well, Lana Ward is, um, yeah, was it on the commentary for this or... Or somewhere else, she said that she wasn't happy at all with um, with her with this story or her performance yeah. in it. Yeah, she um, she said because it was the first one she filmed for, for this, you know, Romana. She was um, she said that she was still kind of working out how she wanted to do it, and she wanted more mm. time to to work on that. And um, she said, yeah, like you said, what didn't help was the script was written for Mary Tam's version, so yeah. you just have to. It, it's difficult. You can't just take something that was written for another person and just say the lines you know you have to put something into it that makes it your own um which didn't help and uh i think she also said like yeah the dress and her hair was also based on mary tam and stuff like that so i think she was just a bit like yeah not really feeling it um, yeah which is understandable you got to settle it i can't mm. and, and don't get me wrong she's still good in it it's just that because we know <laughs> how her romana turns out to be she's quite a strong romana i like romana too um I like both Romanas, by the way. <laughs> There's no favouritism here. But, yeah, compared to what her Romana turns out to be like, this one does feel a little bit weak in places. Um, but, yeah, it's un- it's her first uh, recorded story, so we can, you know, got to give a bit of uh, leeway there. But she's still yeah. good in it, though. She's yeah. still good in it. Yeah, she's still good. Uh, what do you think to um, Mira Francis, then, or Myra Francis, who plays uh, Lady Adrasta? Because she's very hammy at some point. She's very... <laughs> she is a bit um i thought she was pretty good though to be honest i yeah for me she did tread that fine line between being a bit hammy villain uh but i didn't think i didn't find her annoying let's put it that way i, I thought she was quite strong as the the you know the ruler of that planet um i think <laughs> if anything she she just starts to go a bit too over the top at the end, just before she's killed. I think that's the only time when I thought, oh, she's ramped up the ham to 11 now. And uh, she does go a bit shouty and over the top towards the end. But uh, it does, I don't mind that. I, I, I thought she was pretty good in it, to be fair. She she feels a bit threatening, you know. She feels like she's in control, which is, is good enough. Um, Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, I wouldn't yeah. want to mess with her, let's put it that way. I think... I think she'd throw you down the pit pretty quick. I, I probably wouldn't mess with her. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, for me, it's just more the fact that um, a lot of her lines where she delivered them as like a big statement all the time. 
if yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Like every time she says yeah. something, it's, it's like um, she's like the town crier addressing the entire room as opposed to sort of conversing with somebody uh, sort of one-on-one. It's that kind of thing. I mean, she wasn't bad, but yeah, I just felt like she was hamming it up quite a lot. Um, a, a decent performance, though, in terms of what the story needed. It needed like a little bit of a, you know, a big uh, sort of theatrical villain, if you like, to drive the story from a baddie point of view. So you can kind of see um, uh, why she was probably directed to do it that way. And, you know, like we need this big sort of, um, this big kind of uh, performance. We, we we literally couldn't have the bandits as the baddies because they're just a bunch of like Dell boys, you know, those dudes that were like, oh yeah, lovely bit of metal here. What's that <laughs> yeah. bit worth? Oh, those yeah. guys, yeah. They were just completely, you know, so you couldn't have them as like the, you know, the driving force behind the baddie side of the story. That would just be, mm. just be a bit weak. So yeah, we needed the the classic old 70s uh, villain to do her thing. So yeah, what do you think to those bandits, those dudes? Because they were a little bit like sort of the, the chuckle brothers of, of the planet, it felt like. Yeah, they they weren't too bad actually. They brought a bit of um, humour to the story. They're not as bad as I remember. I remember thinking that those were the scenes where I got really bored. And but actually, they they were quite fun in places. Um, and uh, the lead guy, Tovin, is it? Tovin, Tovin, Tovin. I think yeah, Tovin. Tovin and Dean. I got. I actually felt quite sorry when he got stabbed at the end. I was like, oh, he didn't really deserve that. Old Karela. <laughs> she's a bit bit of a nasty piece of work isn't she? Yeah. I mean, as soon as old Astra's out of the way she pushes herself right to the front doesn't she and starts <laughs> trying to take over yeah when she stabbed Torvin I, I felt a bit sorry for him to be honest with you <laughs> I didn't think he deserved it um, she's uh, that, that actress uh, Karela um, Eileen Way was the woman mm-hmm. I kept thinking now where do I know her from because she's got a very sort of recognisable face she, she's just got a certain look Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I think I recognise her from the the Cushing Dalek film. She's like the old hag oh, that's uh, right. hiding away in the um, <laughs> in the uh, shack in the forest. But I think she might have been in Doctor Who early on as well. But I'm not sure. But I, I recognised her straight away. Mm. And she has got a great villainous face uh, as well, hasn't she? She's got a look about her. That um, no offence to the actress because <laughs> she's great, but she does have a slightly evil look to her. And I think she plays it quite well. Yeah, she does. Uh, was she yeah. an early Doctor Who? I'm sure she um, was. She probably She's definitely yeah. in the Cushion movies. I've, that's, that was where I recognised her from. It was bugging me for ages. Oh, okay, yeah. I think, yeah, she was... Um, yeah, she... I, I didn't immediately recognise her as the as the Cushion um, uh, movie thing. But, yeah, I think normally like actors you know from that sort of time period have been in who <laughs> at some point at least once before things like zed cars and yeah. oh she was in zed cars yeah <laughs> oh, of course of course yeah. yeah um yeah i don't know what else she was in in who bud but yeah she could have been. i think she may have even been in the first story she's definitely in one of the early who's and i can't remember which one it is very early on she's in it um mm. Yeah, but yeah, she's she's pretty cool, and like, like you said, I think maybe a little bit wasted because she's a good actress. She's got that sort of slightly evil crone face. Sorry, like, you know, but she has, and um, and I felt like they could have built up the rivalry between her and Astra a little bit because uh, she seems like she can't wait to take over once she gets the chance. So that, yeah, they could have definitely added that into the story a little bit. Would have been quite fun, I think, because got two good actors there, um, both quite sort of villainous uh, female characters, you know, there could have been a bit of fun there, I think, a bit of rivalry between the two 
of uh, sort of she she could have been perhaps delighted when Astra finally gets it and she gets her chance to shine. Or they definitely could have done some some more with those two because I think they would have worked. That would have worked quite well. Yes, yeah, that would have been cool actually. Yeah. Yes. Uh, any other people we need to talk about? Uh, oh yeah. So yeah, Organon, the Crow Man. Uh, we mentioned yeah. him briefly earlier, but uh, kind of a weird character to throw in there because, like I said at the beginning, I felt it was needed because it needed some, um, it needed a little bit of quirkiness here and there, a bit of light mm. relief and stuff like that. But uh, a very rare instance where he survives right until the end. Normally, characters like that, yeah, they uh, they're either captured or they're killed off, and you know that provides a bit of an emotional anchor. It's like right now, the Doctor's definitely got to sort this all out. Um, you know. So, yeah, it's weird. It's like he's, he's sort of a happy-go-lucky. He's a bit of a fraud, right? He kind of thinks he's an astrologer but or a medium, but, you know, he doesn't really, you know, he's just sort of... And at the end, it sort of all becomes clear. Like when um, the Huntsman guy, David Telfer, uh, is holding the treaty, um, Organon's already had a little sneaky look so he knows what's yeah. on there. And then he <laughs> pretends to, in his mind, a vision comes of what's written on the thing. He's like, how did you know what's written there? He's like... It's written in the stars, you know, that sort of thing. So you kind of get, you know, the point. He's a bit of a a bit of a lad with that stuff. But um yeah, I just found him a very interesting character and glad they didn't kill him off because they could have yeah. easily done. I, I would have been sad if he'd got killed off. And uh good casting, as I said earlier, I think. Um the Jeffrey Bailden is, is is perfect for those type of roles. And uh, yeah, he's great. A good character. I, I yeah, definitely glad he, he didn't get killed off. Just brings a bit of fun to it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree, dude. Um okay, I don't think there was much else. Oh, just very quickly we we spoke about obviously the creature, but what about the little wolf weeds, those little balls of <laughs> little cabbages that just roll around and engulf somebody? Yeah, that was reasonably funny as well. <laughs> Are they, I, yeah, they work quite well, really, don't they? They, I mean, well, they're ridiculous, but <laughs> again, they had a, they had some fun to it. I think I would imagine as a kid in nineteen seventy nine, I would have loved them. I would have, I would have thought they were great, but yeah, a bit like the creature, they're a bit uh, ridiculous in a way. They yeah. take out K nine way too easily. I tell you what, I love though that scene when Tom, right at the beginning, Tom's like examining what he thinks is the egg and he keeps turning and looking because he thinks something's moving and then he turns back and they move a little bit more and he looks back and that was just such a fun little moment that because you're just waiting for them to pounce on him uh, so yeah, yeah they, they kind of work weirdly i think in the story term <laughs> they do yeah I, I found the introduction to them really funny though when yeah when tom's on the ground and he's doing that thing like i'm gonna look no i'm not looking like, yeah, you know, it's like musical chairs sort of thing, but uh, sorry, musical statues, but that's yeah, it. Kind yeah. of funny, kind of funny, but yeah. I also love cabbages. Tom in the stocks at the start. You oh, know, the they put him too. in like the um, headlock. Uh, I just thought again, it looks so uncomfortable. Tom really works well uh, in those scenes. He really sort of goes for it and, and brings the humour uh, of being put in those stocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a really humorous bit, actually, when he gets somebody to witch his nose. You know that? Yeah, and that's also, it. Yeah, um, I was trying to think what he does. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he gets you. Yeah. But the thing that, yeah, Dudley Simpson's music, he played like a little um, comedic clown sort of bit of music there to really get the point across that this is a funny little scene, kids. Don't worry. Nothing bad's going to happen. And yeah, that was kind of weird. Like, he's like, itch my nose, very good boy. And it's like, yeah, bosh. And um, yeah, so that was quite funny. 
the old stock and I, and I like the fact how he turns serious this is the good thing about Tom isn't it when she says uh, shall I scratch your nose it's like the itch has gone and he just suddenly his demeanour just changes to very serious and he's like right what's going on that's what I love about Tom is he you know plays the fun but when he needs to get down to the serious he's straight there and he kind of sort it out um, you mentioned Dudley Simpson there so I think it's a good one for him and some, some lovely little bits of uh, music score in this story from old Dudley hmm yeah, it's not bad. It's kind of recognisable as well. I feel like um, yeah, there's a few stories where his music's a little bit familiar between them. There is a few bits in this, I think. I've heard that before, but mm. okay. It's not yeah. bad, though. It's pretty good. No, I liked it. Yeah, I like the music in this one. Yeah. Anything else on your notes, dude? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, just no. Looking, looking through. No, I think we covered it. Cool. I think it's me to go first. I'm going to give this a... I'm going to give this a six and a half out of ten. I think it's uh, a lot more enjoyable than just uh, a sort of on the fence. Do I like it? Do I not? So it's not a five. But yeah, it's just a little bit. It's not a seven where it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of enjoyable and it is enjoyable to a degree. But yeah, just a bit expected, I think, and a little bit paint by numbers in some places. And the the creature does look ridiculous. We can't get away from that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, what about you, dude? Yeah, I must admit, I, I'd written 6.5, but I'm going to give it a 7. I'm going to give it a 7. Nice. I'll tell you why. It, it, it's not one of the best, but I 6.5 to me sort of really starting to go into the lower realms. And this is better than I thought it would be, but it's just not great. It, it, I think it's got m- more to it than I thought. So I'm going to get, that's why I'm going to go up a little bit. As we've talked through it, there's, there is some nice moments in the script. It is produced well. Tom's good at it. Uh, in fact, the, the cast are good in it. So I'm not going to give my original score six or five. I'm going to go slightly higher with a seven. Might be being a bit generous, but it, it isn't as bad as I thought. But right. it's just a little bit unsatisfying. Right. So that's okay. So that's fair enough. Dude. Yeah. yeah. That's fair dues. Uh, okay. So um, a 6.5 from, from me and uh, a seven from him. Mm. From him. Uh, what did our listeners think to this one then? So over on Twitter, we had... Uh, the Courier of Who says, I always struggle with this one, but I find Romana charming, but the monster is a letdown of five out of ten. Mm. Uh, writer Jordan says there's some seeds of a good story in here somewhere, but it gets lost amongst Tom Baker being Tom Baker and a rather dodgy looking monster and the iconic interaction. But Lala Ward is great as Romana and Lady Adastra uh, makes a good villain. Yeah. Um, Chippy T says, I enjoy Tom and Lala's bants, but Adastra... Were, uh, was too shouty. The story concept was interesting, people using creatures for their own ends, but it never fully explored that. Even back in the 70s, they must have recognised how that creature looked. Was it all tongue-in-cheek? Six out of ten. Six. Uh, Will Sanger says, the monster is ridiculous, which overshadows everything, and the interactions with the Doctor are simply laughable, which strips the story of any drama or credibility. Uh, the storyline has nothing of substance and drags endlessly. Luckily, Lala Ward proves to be stronger. Two out of ten. Oh, two. Will. Oh. Yeah, not happy with that at two. Uh, the Lost on Gallifrey podcast, guys. Uh, I watched this recently. I'm expected, uh, expecting nothing, but loved it. I never let effects bother me with Classic Who. And although certain shots in this push that to the limit, there's so much to enjoy that outweighs it. Parts one and three, uh, cliffhangers are fab. Tom is excellent. A lot of fun. 7.5. Oh, cool. And lastly, on Twitter, Sam Dooley says it's a mediocre story with nothing too memorable about it, but credit where it's due. Tom is always fun to watch, even in his weakest stories, of which there are very few, this being one of them. I watched this one years ago. I remember being bored by it, so five out of ten. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. A five. And then we had a few over on Facebook. Uh, Martin Arnold is back. He says, this isn't a bad story at all. To be fair, it's just this season is a bit crap. Um, sorry. <laughs> I put words in Martin's uh, mouth there or his keyboard. He didn't say that at all. <laughs> what he said was, uh, it's just this season gets a bad rap. Uh, but there are lots of good stories, not just... Uh, just not good production values. Fortunately, the cast sell it very well, even if the creature looks like a party bag someone threw up in. Uh, <laughs> gives it a 7 out of 10. <laughs> Toby Coleman says, Ah, Series 17, one of the series I have watched the least. Mm. Well, unfortunate creature design aside, the story is okay for the most part. I can't decide whether I like Romana or not as she goes from really strong when dealing with the bandits to whimpering over K9. I'm not particularly fond of K9's new voice either. It mm. starts good but loses steam in Episode 3. Before episode four runs out of plot. Overall, six wolf reads out of ten. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the Legend of Sea Devil and Happy Easter. Happy Easter, Toby. Yeah. Uh, Charlie yeah. Turner uh, says, apart from that scene, quote unquote, where the doctor looks like he is at home, okay, mm-hmm. uh, I'll keep it PG. This is a pretty interesting story from my least favorite classic season. And uh, yeah, Charlie goes on to give it a seven out of ten. Uh, some of these are relatively long, so I'm not going to read them all out. Uh, Gary and Ad, well, it's a first time for watch for me. And I have to say it's a bit bland. However, I do like the fact it's an episode where you see a lot of the Doctor. It's nice to see K9 and a lot of this blasting and stunning his way through. Uh, the ending reminded me of the 11th Doctor's episode, Cold War. Oh, yeah. And, so and that. Uh, hmm. yeah, uh, 74,384, 338. What a lucky number to have. That's what I mean. There were some <laughs> great lines like that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and he gives it a 5.5. Andrew Stewart says, I really enjoyed this one. I think it gets forgotten about. Uh, uh, apart from that scene, all you know is what I'm talking about. Uh, Tom and Lala are superb, but as much as I love K9, David Brilly's voice, it's a bit uh, annoying to begin with. Mm-hmm. Story is entertaining for a bit of classic who, a fun 8 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Cameron Artley says, oof, I didn't get the time to, to get this... Uh, to get this one this week, it's not one I remember that well. I don't think it's the worst of the season either. I think the I like uh, I did like the dynamic of this team, and it helped getting through that story. Solid performances, an okay story. Five and a half blow pops out of ten. <laughs> um, happy Easter, happy Easter, Cameron. Uh, Dwayne Bunny says this is my guilty pleasure. The script is rich with Douglas mm. Adams' influence, and all the cast scenes we have in a ball. I particularly enjoy the team up of Jeffrey Bailden and Tom Baker. This is a story I never get tired of. It is my season 17 go-to. Oh, wow. Okay. Cool, yeah. And lastly, uh, Bob Clark says, The Creature from the Pit. I really like this one from the OTT lady at Astra to her servant back from the Cave of Skulls, in brackets, and Wolf Weeds uh, with oh, a hunky yeah. woodsman. Great comedy moments, an 8 out of 10. Mm, very mixed, actually, this week, isn't it? It is very mixed, yeah. Yeah, it is very mixed. Um, yeah, I think we've gone from a 2. Was that Will Sanger? Will's review, the lowest of 10. I think we went up to a to an eight and a half, which is not too bad. Okay, so that's uh, The Creature from the Pit done and done. Next week, bud, we don't need telling, but tell us anyway what we're going to review yeah. next week. Yeah, so it'd be nice to have some some new who to, to uh, review next week. So, of course, it will be Legend of the Sea Devils. going to be great to see the Sea Devils back, isn't it? It is, yeah. Swashbuckling yeah. and uh, up to pirate no goodness. Should be good. Yes. Yeah. Let's hope it's good, yeah. yeah. Let's hope. All right, indeed. And, uh, dear listener, I think we're going to wrap there for episode 347. All righty.
thank you for listening to the Big Blue Box podcast for another week. That was episode 347. And uh, the old creature from the pit, fairly, uh, <laughs> fairly uh, not bad scores from us. Uh, and some very mixed scores from our from our listeners so um, thank you very much to those that sent in your mini reviews and your scores out of 10 that is very much appreciated as always as Adam said for next week and you all know it's the return of the Sea Devils in Legend of the Sea Devils so we'll be watching that uh, over the Easter weekend and we'll ask, be asking for your reviews and your scores as always so look out on the socials for that post in the meantime make sure you follow this podcast in your preferred podcast app or listen to all the episodes for free on the website bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk uh, you can also check out our reviews and articles over there as well. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Links are on the website and there's also a link to hop over to our Discord server which is completely free. Jump in there and chat Doctor Who with other Who fans. And as always, make sure you check out Adam's channel. Over on Facebook it is The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag, yeah. Lots of Doctor Who vids over there. Go and have a look. Go and check also it out. on all the socials. Uh, yeah, he's on the socials too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Come and like and a give a like and a follow over there and we'll all chat Doctor Who throughout the week it's all good so until next week my name's Gary my name's Adam and remember and